Be seated. It is such a joy and blessing and privilege to be with all of you here this evening at Willowfield. Thank you, Bishop Harold, so much for inviting Karen and I to come and to be part of the Bible Week and, and to share in this very special celebration tonight as we come here tonight to, to celebrate the ordination of three of our dear brothers, David and Stephen and Rory. You know, as I was uh, reading over the gospel passages this evening, or reading over each of the scripture passages, there were, they speak very powerfully to that which we, are, which we have gathered here for this evening. And in keeping with Bishop Harold's pattern during, during uh, Bible week where, where he, each night he would come out and say, well, well I've, for tonight I'm going to be speaking on four points. But he didn't really mean four points because once he got to them, then he added four more observations. <laughs> and then the next night I think it was five points and then he added a few more observations. And, and the final night you said you're going to speak on eight. And I thought, here we go, we'll be here till midnight. But... Uh, <laughs> But I believe, as I have read over these, these passages in preparation for this evening, the Lord uh, identified six points or six observations that, that seem to speak about why we're here this evening. It would be very easy to, to think that, that it is all about these three young men. Well, Stephen's not quite so young, but he, he hasn't told us exactly how old he is. But to be able to, to come here this evening, I mean, we, we heard that, that as they came in, you all applauded, and, and that was wonderful to, to celebrate this, this, new, this uh, new calling in their life and, and this very special moment tonight as, as their lives will be changed forever. They also came in all dressed up and looking pretty snazzy in, in their vestments, and, and, and uh, it would be very easy to think that, that tonight is about the three of you. But in reality, it isn't. The first point, it's not about you. It's about God, and it's about his kingdom. You know, we live in a generation which tends to be a very me-oriented, or, or I generation. We're constantly being told that it's all about us. And we're at least on the other side of the pond where we have numerous commercials trying to entice us to, to buy all sorts of things or dress in a particular way or live in a particular area or drive a particular car or, car or, or reach a particular social status. It's, it's if we can just achieve those things, it's all about us. It's about me. I have a right to whatever. That's what we're told but our passages this evening, especially the, the gospel passage as well as the Old Testament passage from, from Isaiah, tell a different story. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were part of the inner circle of our Lord. Peter and James and John, they were all oftentimes the ones that Jesus would take with him for very special moments. So they, they already had a, a 
a, a connection, seemed to be a little bit closer connection than, than the other apostles did. And, and yet they seem to want even more. As we pick up to this evening's gospel passage from Mark, this is towards the, the, the end of, of our Lord's earthly ministry. He is making his way to Jerusalem. He has already warned the apostles three times of what was to happen to him when he arrived, of how he would be betrayed, arrested, beaten, and ultimately crucified on a cross, of how he was to, to die. And somehow that never quite sank in to the apostles, at least not the way that we, that we looking some 2,000 years after the fact, would, would see it. But in fact, James and John, they, they missed out the part about the dying and, and just saw Jesus coming into his glory or believed that, that as the Messiah, the one that the prophets of old had spoken about, how when they rode into Jerusalem, then, then that would be the launching of his messianic arrival and, and, uh, and that, that he would be glorified in that. And, and they, said, they said, Lord, teacher, they said, we, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Again, so that, that me-oriented society in which we live, apparently it existed back then to at least a certain degree. And, and uh, he said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And, and Jesus said, what is it that, that you want? And he said, we want to, to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, to, to share in your glory. They wanted those positions of, of respect, those positions of authority, those positions of, of glory. In fact, one of the gospel passages indicated that not only did they ask for this, but also their mother asked for it on their behalf. She, she had visions of, or plans for her sons. And yet Jesus said, it's, you don't know what you're asking for. And then began to explain to them about the ministry that he was calling them to, a ministry of servanthood, a ministry that, that went against the social norms, that went against the, the worldly values. He knew what was in their heart. He knew their desire to be great. He knew their desire to, to, to share in his glory. He knew their desire to, to be in a position of authority and power. He said, if you really want to be great, then first you must humble yourself. You must serve others. It's not about you. It's about God and it's about his kingdom. And, and we are reminded of that so powerfully in the Old Testament passage this morning. From, or this evening from, from Isaiah where we, we hear about the commissioning of Isaiah. And it's, it's important 
when we heard this passage that Isaiah is, is quite clear in, in talking about when that moment of calling came, that moment of commissioning, just as each of you were sharing this evening just a little glimpse of, of your sense of call and, and, and your belief that God was, was in fact calling you to this particular, to this particular ministry. I think you were doing that. I, I believe the Lord was giving you a gift of tongues this evening because the faster you spoke to my American ears, I wasn't really sure what you were saying, but everybody else seemed to catch it. So, But that Isaiah claimed that, that in, the king, in the year that King Uzziah died, this wasn't just some moment out in time, but rather this was a specific time a time that can be traced back in history. It said, in the year that King Uzziah died, God gave me a vision. And, and he opened Isaiah's eyes to, to see God in, in all his glory. Something that, that all of us could, could only imagine or, or try to imagine. But God, preparing Isaiah for for his commissioning, for this new ministry that, that he was about to launch. He opened his eyes, he opened his heart, he opened his mind to be able to see him sitting on his throne in heaven and, and his glory filling the whole earth. What a powerful, powerful image that must have been. Not only did, but did he see him, but he also saw the host of angels that were all around. He saw the seraphs and, and heard them as they, as they cried out, as they sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Dear friends, what we're gathered here tonight, what we are participating in is something that is truly holy. It's not about these three brothers. In a way it is, but it's really not. It's about God. It's about God's vision for them. It's about God's calling on them. It's about God's purpose for them to assist in the fulfilling of, of his purpose. The first response that Isaiah had when, when he experienced this, this, this vision was to be confronted with his own unholiness. Here was God in, in his majesty, in his might, in his glory, in his purity, and his holiness. And Isaiah, when in his presence, all he could say is, woe is me. Woe is me, I am doomed. I am a man of unclean lips, living amongst a people of unclean lips. Isaiah knew that, that in the presence of God, there was no comparison. And yet God took care of that. 
he reached out and, and, and had Isaiah's lips touched with the burning coal. God purified him and cleansed him so that he could begin the ministry that, that he was about to call them to. The story goes on, and ultimately Isaiah hears God say, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Perhaps this is one of the, the first indications or one of the earlier indications in Holy Scriptures of the Trinity. Who will go for us? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit gathered together as they were preparing Isaiah to go forth in their name, in their image. Isaiah, not as in his own ability, but, but touched and transformed by the Holy Spirit, he said, here am I, send me. God had a mission, his mission, but he was inviting Isaiah to take part in that. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about his kingdom. The second point, it's not your ministry. It's his ministry. So oftentimes, we'll talk about various ministries, either lay ministry or ordained ministry, and, and, and we will speak of it in a possessive tone. My ministry of whatever And I always get nervous when, when I hear us or, or hear someone say that, talk about ministry as, as their, their own particular ministry. Again, in one sense it is, but in reality it isn't. The ministry that, that these three brothers are, are about to be ordained into this evening, it is God's ministry that he, in his wisdom, for his purposes, has invited them to share in. Every one of us here gathered here tonight, whether lay or ordained, have been called by God to share in his ministry. For some, it might be like our, our brothers and sisters who have been sharing the beautiful music ministry this evening, or, or worship leaders. For some, it could be those who have shared God's word with us this evening as, as they read God's word so powerfully. For some, it is ordained ministry for deacons and priests and bishops. For, so, for many others, it's other types of ministry with, within the church. And yet, it's not ours it's his. And if we think about what an awesome privilege it is to think that, that God, who is almighty, all-powerful, who could do anything that he chose or chooses, has decided to invite us to be part of his ministry, to share in his ministry, to accomplish his purposes. 
That is an awesome privilege. It's also a huge responsibility. It's a ministry which the Lord is, is calling you to as deacons. He is setting you apart this night to join those others throughout the centuries who, who he is also called to, to the ordained ministry as deacons. You know, every one of us, as I stated a moment, moment ago, are called by, by God to, to share in, in his ministry. When G, after Jesus' death and resurrection, as, as he is, was about to ascend into heaven, he called the apostles up on top of the mountaintop. And through the, the great commission, he gave them their marching orders. And, and in and through them, he gave us our marching orders. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Now go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit teaching them all that I have commanded you. And remember, I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. That was the ministry that God gave the apostles and through them a ministry that, that an order, marching orders that he has given all of his church, all the body of Christ, lay and ordained. All of us are called to share and the gospel, to share the gospel throughout the world. Perhaps in, in our local neighborhoods, perhaps some are called to, to go to distant lands, but, but wherever we find ourselves, in one capacity or another, the Lord calls us to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to invite people into relationship with Jesus Christ. Not all are called to ordained ministry, but some are. The three of you, by God's grace, have in fact been called to, to share in, in this diaconal ministry, which is a servanthood ministry. Again, James and John, they were looking for positions of authority, positions of power, positions of glory, and Jesus said, guys, if you really want to be great, you need to stop thinking like that. That's the way of the world. But rather, if you really want to be great, you need to humble yourself. And you need to serve others. And he, he went on to say, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but rather he came to serve. He came to set an example for all of us, all the body of Christ to follow. And in many ways, the, those that are called to ordain ministry are, are those that the Lord sets apart to be a reminder to the rest of the body of Christ of that which we are all called to. In this particular case, we are all called to be servants, servants of the Lord Most High. The Lord has, has called you to live your lives, to exercise the ministry that he entrusts to you, to, to take advantage of the opportunities that he gives you, to use the gifts and talents and abilities that he has blessed you with 
in such a way that that will remind all the rest of us of the importance of, of servanthood, the importance of, of not expecting others to serve us, not to expect what to, to, to look at what we're going to get out of it, but rather, what can we give? You know, John F. Kennedy, a number of years ago, said, ask not what, what your country can do for you, but rather ask what you can do for your country. Jesus is telling them, ask not what, or don't set your heart on, on what you think you can get out of this, but, but rather focus on what you can what you can offer, what you can do. And, and Paul, in his letter to the Romans, also speaks of, of the importance of that. And he said that, that in the transformation of our minds, then we'll be better able to test and approve what is God's will, his good, pleasing, perfect will. Discerning God's will for your life you may think that one day you decided you were going to be, that you wanted to be a, a deacon or ultimately to be a priest. And God willing, about a year from now, you will be ordained to the priesthood to begin another chapter in this ordained ministry. But right now you, you are being, entering into this servanthood ministry. And once Again, God willing, you're ordained to the priesthood. You never stop being deacons. You never stop exercising that servanthood ministry. You simply take on other roles, other responsibilities in addition to it. The third point, which we've already talked about to a certain degree here, is, is ordained ministry is a calling or a vocation, it's not a profession or a job. I think in recent years, that's one of the worst things that's happened to the church in terms of the leadership, ordained leadership, is, is far too many people entering into ordained ministry have been led to believe that, that, that ordained ministry is simply a, a profession or, or a job. It's not that. It's a calling. It's a vocation. Bishop Harold the other night during Bible week made a, a, a wonderful distinction between a salary and a stipend. Clergy don't get paid salaries. We get paid stipends. We aren't in this to make the big bucks, or at least hopefully we're not. And tragically, some are. You can look at certain, certain patterns of, of some clergy and, and they start at one level and then they go to the next bigger level and the next bigger level and, and perhaps they even have dreams of becoming a bishop and they are, they are totally confused if that's what they want. But it's not, it's not about power, it's not about prestige, it's, it's not about the things that... that uh, that many professions might say that reaching different levels, but rather it's a calling. 
at some point you did become aware of desire to enter into ordained ministry as you were sharing this evening. But it wasn't just an idea that you came up with on your own, but rather it was in response to the Lord's calling on your heart, your soul, and your mind. He always initiates. We, by God's grace, respond. So I would encourage you as you continue in the various ministries that the Lord is calling you to and the various places that you're serving, that, that you are being ordained to serve in a particular area, a particular ministry. Two of you are involved in, in church planting. One of you is involved in, in uh, prison ministry. And those are all wonderful things. But that's, again, the Lord's call on your life. So resist that temptation, that worldly temptation to always be looking for the next bigger thing, the next better thing. What a, what a, again, what an awesome privilege it is to think that God would call us to serve in whatever capacity, to use the gifts and talents and abilities that he gives us for his service for the building up of his kingdom. Fourth point, you're called to be in the world, but not of the world. The night that our Lord was betrayed, he was praying for the apostles. He knew what was about to happen to him. He knew what was about to happen to them. And, and he prayed that God would not take them out of the world, but, but would rather protect them from, from the enemy, to protect them from the ways of the world. He said, Father, just as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. I don't ask for you to take them out. I've got work for them to do. We have work for them to do. But rather, I ask you to protect them from the enemy, to protect them from, from the fallenness, the brokenness of the world. There are those who would try to put ordained clergy on pedestals, failing to recognize that, that we are part of the, 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 fallen, the fallen world. Every one of us are sinners. Every one of us are in need of God's love and mercy and redeeming grace. And yet he does put us in those who are called to ordain ministry and, and, and just Christians in general. He does call us to, to go out into the world, not to, to seek the things that the world would say we should have or we should want, but rather to try to, to live the life that he calls us to, to, to draw us in ever closer to him, to discern his will, to go forth in his name, to speak his truth, to be a channel of his love and mercy and healing grace. In the United States, at least, we, I would argue that we live in a post-Christian world. That it's not easy to be a Christian. Years ago, 
that was a sociably acceptable thing. Today, today we have to be much more intentional. It's not so well received. And I don't know that you have reached that level here in, in Ireland, but if you haven't, it won't be long before it comes here as well. But the Lord is calling you as you exercise your ministries, exercise the ministries that he has called you to, that he has entrusted to you, that, that you will do so keeping your focus on Christ and not on the ways of the world. To try to live your life as, as an example for, where, where Christ's light, Christ's love will shine forth. The fifth point. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. But in and through Christ, all things are possible. When I was sensed a call, or sensed that God was calling me to become a bishop, that was not something that I wanted at all. I've shared that with many of you in the past. In fact, it was something that, that I wanted to run away from. And, and, and yet, the Lord broke through in, in, a, very, in a very powerful way. One, one day as I was celebrating communion for, for all the clergy of the diocese, something that Bishop Herzog was, had planned on doing, but got called away, and then something that Bishop Dan, Dan, uh, Benno was going to do in his place, but he got called away, and, and the bishop asked if I would celebrate communion. And, and in, in uh, that day, as, as all the clergy were gathered there, and, and, and I was at, at the altar and, and celebrating communion, I just, in a moment, I, I looked out over, over the congregation, all the clergy, and since the Lord was saying, this is your new congregation, and I knew what that meant, and it scared me to death. And it's like, no, Lord, please. But this chill went right through my spine. And, and I was trying to, as, when I realized that what I thought the Lord was, was calling me to, then it was like, no, Lord, I can't possibly do that. I'm too aware of my own shortcomings, my own failings my own inadequacies. Perhaps you have some of those thoughts as well as you think about the ministry that you're, that you're launching into and, and future ministry. But each time I came up with an excuse of why I couldn't possibly do what I believe the Lord was calling me to do, it was as if he said, you know, Bill, I, I believe I've heard that before. And he started bringing to mind people throughout the centuries who tried to get out of the call that he had placed upon them as they brought forth their own failings, their own inadequacies. That's the wonderful thing about ministry. It's not dependent upon our holiness or our abilities that we create ourselves, but rather it's dependent upon the Lord himself. He will not call you to do that which he doesn't equip and empower you to do. We have to cooperate, but he initiates it. He equips us. He empowers us. He has visions that, that we oftentimes are blinded at, but trusting in him, keeping our focus on him. You know, in John's 
the 15th chapter of, of John, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You need to remain connected. That apart from me, you can do nothing. As you exercise and enter more and more into the ministry that the Lord is calling you to, it'll be easy to get distracted. It will easy, be easy to, to get so involved in all the various demands that will be placed upon you that perhaps your prayer life will start slipping. Perhaps your, your study time with Holy Scripture will start slipping. Perhaps some of those other ways that God has given us to remain connected to the vine will start slipping. It might just be a little bit here and a little bit there, but before you know it, if we're not careful, all of a sudden we realize that we're running on empty. We're trying to exercise the ministry that the Lord has called us to in our own power, in our own ability, in our own wisdom. That'll get us a little bit, but not very far. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. It's absolutely essential if you are to live into this ministry that the Lord is calling you to, that you remain connected, that you remain faithful in your prayers, that you remain faithful in your, in your, in your study of God's word, that you keep your focus on him and not get distracted. The final point, the worker ministry that we share in has life and death consequences. You know, there are those in the world today who would believe that, that essentially all world religions are the same. There are those who, who believe that to be a Christian simply means to be a good person, irregardless of relationship with Jesus. There are those who, who believe that, that everyone is going to be saved. Jesus never said that. Does God love everyone? Yes, he does. So much so that, that he came into the world through his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, taking our humanity upon himself, becoming one of us, teaching us, ministering to us, ultimately offering himself as a sacrifice for us, dying for us, rising to new life for us, inviting us into that new resurrected life. God does love all people. But tragically, not all people love God. Not all people have come to know him, to believe in him, to follow him. The Lord is calling you. He's calling all of us to take our faith seriously, to take whatever ministry he invites us into seriously, whatever part it might fit. He said, we're all part of the one body of Christ. We all have different talents, different abilities. We can't all do everything, but we all can do something. And each of those different parts God wants to use for the sharing of the gospel, for the building up of the kingdom. As Jesus was preparing the apostles for, for his departure, for his death, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, 
you may be also. And you know where I'm going. And Thomas said, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The ministry, the work that the Lord is calling you to has eternal consequences. Jesus said, go out into the world, to all parts of the world, baptizing all nations. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Not just any name. And not just to go to those people that you particularly like or feel comfortable being around. But to go wherever he sends you. To share the good news of Jesus Christ. To invite people into the body of Christ. Into relationship with him. So that they can come to know that there is a God. An almighty, all loving, all powerful God. That wants only the very best for them. That wants to, to share his life with them. Who wants to invite them around the banquet table, not just for a little bit of time, but for all eternity. We need to take, brothers and sisters, our faith seriously. There are people all around us that are drowning, that are grasping for something to hold on to, but oftentimes looking in the wrong places hanging on to the wrong things, things that might give them temporary pleasure, temporary joy, but it doesn't last. There's an emptiness within all of us that, that God created that can only be filled with one thing, and that's Christ. Dear brothers, the Lord is calling you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's calling you to minister to the people that he has entrusted to your care. He's calling you to, to not only to minister within the confines of the building where you may be worshiping in the prison or, or in, in the, the schools that you're now using as, as uh, places to, to meet. He's calling you to go beyond that, to go out into the world to share the good news, to share the love of Christ. To invite people in. You and I can't save anyone. Only one person can do that. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. What he accomplished for us on the cross. Buddha didn't do it. Muhammad didn't do it. The hundreds of Hindu gods didn't do it. Only Jesus makes salvation possible. We have been blessed to have come to hear the gospel, to come to believe, to enter into that special relationship with him. We can take our final breath in this world or be at the, the, the bedside of a loved one who, who has come to know Christ as they take their final breath, knowing that that's not the end, but rather a wonderful and glorious beginning. So we enter into the near presence of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The work that you're called to has eternal consequences. It has life and death consequences. 
We can't reach all people, but we can reach some. I pray the Lord will bless you as you begin this new ministry, actually as you continue in the ministries that you're already involved in, but in a new capacity, with new, new uh, equippings, new callings. And as you continue to move forward, may he use you in, in mighty and wonderful ways as you share the good news of Jesus Christ, as you invite people into relationship with him, as you... you celebrate the wonder of God, the mystery of God, the love of God. It's not about us. It's about him. Amen.